Well, Father in heaven, you are a great and awesome and holy, majestic, sovereign, powerful, loving, merciful God. Righteous in all your ways. And there is none like you. Thank you for who you are. Glorify your name among us today. Thank you for sending your only son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the Thank you for sending Jesus to save sinners like us. Jesus Christ, you are the bread of life. And there is no satisfaction and fulfillment outside of you. Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world, the illumination of the truth of God, the revelation of God to the world. And there is only darkness outside of you. Jesus Christ, you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ, you are the way and the truth and the life, and there is none that come to the Father but through you. Jesus Christ, you are the resurrection and the life, and there is no eternal life apart from you. And Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. You say what you want to say to see it built up and unified and you glorified in it. Holy Spirit, would you take this text today and illuminate every part? We wish to see Jesus. Lord, would you show us him today? Empower us to listen. Empower us to humble ourselves and to hear and respond. Remove distractions from every heart and every home right now. Empower us with your illumination and give us ears to hear and empower me to speak and proclaim the beauty of your living and active word. These are not just words on a page. They are living and active. They are right. They are true. They are refreshing. They are praiseworthy and we thank you for the opportunity that you are giving us right now to hear your word and respond in faith. May it be so. Jesus Christ, get all the glory and it is your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, loved ones, what a joy it is to be back today after a few weeks of hearing from some of the international pastors that we kicked off our summer ministry with the start of it being that global focus. And I pray that you are encouraged and refreshed at some of the things that Jesus is doing across the world to build his church for his glory. I've been super refreshed by that. I pray that you are as well. And now today, for the rest of the summer, we carry on in the Gospel of John. And so today we're in John chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. And Lord willing, by the end of the summer, we will be at the end of John 17, the end of the farewell discourse. Well, the title of this morning's message is Faithful on Mission. Faithful on Mission. And as you look around today, it's increasingly clear to see that this world will not support you or me in growing as followers of Jesus Christ. They will not encourage it. They will not cheer us on to be greater image bearers of Jesus Christ. I mean, just look around. It's getting harder, isn't it, to follow Christ, to stay faithful on mission. I mean, there's, the distractions are greater. I mean, everything just so 
fast pace now. I, like I remember like when the internet just came out and there was that dial up internet, you know, and then you wait for like 10 minutes for it to connect to your phone line. Everything was slower. And now it's like fast, 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 fast. At the touch of a button on a smartphone, boom, there's everything you need. Distractions all over the place. And the pressure is mounting to give into or to um, be in line with the world's ideologies and agendas. And what that means is the cost is getting higher to stay faithful and living on mission for Christ. And so the question that this brings up is this. How do we stay faithful in living on mission for Jesus in a world that is increasingly set against that very thing? In a world that's increasingly opposing that. And you see, this is critical to address right now, loved ones. Such a timely word for our day. And it's critical for the same reason that Jesus is addressing it right here in John 16 with the disciples. Don't forget, they're in the upper room. They're about to leave the upper room and head across to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the farewell discourse up from chapter 13 up to and including the end of 17. And don't forget this, the purpose of this discourse, the reason why Jesus is giving this teaching right here is that he's teaching the disciples and us today how to stay faithful in living on mission for him after he left them. After he left them. You don't forget, he's just hours away from his arrest, trial, and then crucifixion, and then resurrection and ascension back up to the Father. Right? And so what Jesus does is he's teaching them how to live faithful after he's gone. He knows that the, the disciples were in Danger of the same thing that we are in danger of today. And, and let's, let's be honest. We see it happening in the lives of, of individuals who claim the name of Christ, but also entire churches. And what is the danger? Here it is. Falling away. Falling away. Drifting off the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. And what is the mission he's entrusted to us? To stay faithful to the end. Faithful to the end in proclaiming the gospel. Making disciples of all nations. And we see these individuals and entire churches drifting away as the cost of following Jesus continues to increase. And so what's he talking about? Well, he says it right here. Open up your Bibles, John 16, 1-4. Let's get our context. Here it is. He says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now remember, he's just talked about the promise of persecution. That if you are going to follow Jesus, you will be opposed. There will be persecution on different levels. All right? But he's also going to give us the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord, to empower us for Witness, but he says to keep you from falling away. Now, now, that term falling away doesn't mean losing salvation. If you are truly saved in Jesus Christ, you are always saved in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. He's talking about falling away here means to stumble, to be caught off guard, to be hindered in being faithful in proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. And so he says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And he rehashes what some of these things are. They will put you out of the synagogues. Now, now, let's just 
make the comparison here of what Jesus is saying in the first century and bring it into today, see if there's any carryover and if we can identify. He says, they'll put you out of the synagogues. Now, what he means by that is, he's not talking about, yeah, you know what, you'll have to go find another place to worship. Being put out of the synagogue means you're going to be religiously rejected, like you're shunned, you can't go back again, you've lost your religious community, but also uh, social rejection. Your own family would reject you. Your friends would reject you. You would have no hope of getting a job. You have no hope of a family or anything like that. You would be rejected for the name of Jesus. You would be cut off. And we see that increasingly going on today. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, keep reading verse 2. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. You think that's going on today? Yeah, you bet it is. Just like in the first century, here it is in the 21st century. There are religions all over this world that think that they are honoring God by killing Christians. You see this happening over here. And Jesus is saying right here, don't be caught off guard. Don't fall away from the mission. And they, verse 3, will do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. It just shows that their persecution, their opposition against true Christ followers shows that they don't actually know the true God. And verse 4, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Now, why is it so important that Jesus says that you may remember? Why do we need to remember? Because if we don't, if the disciples didn't, if we don't today, remember and stand firm that Jesus promised us, but he's promised to empower us to face it, we will fall away. If we don't remember, we fall away. And we become apathetic in our faith, fearful and then paralyzed in fear, like I can't do anything. I don't want to, the cost is too high. And we start to complain. We want an easier path. And we see that going on all over. And what happens is subtly, slowly, decision by decision, our eyes come off Christ and what he calls us to, and our eyes are increasingly put on ourselves, and we start living how this world calls us to live. It's a sobering reality, but it's what we need to address and what Jesus addresses right here. So the question is, how do we stay faithful in following Jesus on mission to the end. And I just want to encourage you, maybe you read those first four verses and you're, and you're already like fearful. I just want to encourage you with this church. Ready? Jesus has given us all we need to do this. Jesus has already given us all we need to do this to finish faithfully. Here's the big idea we're going to unpack. It's so simple, but it's so profound. Ready? See it on the screen. To stay faithful on mission. Here's what it comes down to. You must trust in Jesus. To stay faithful on mission, you must trust in Jesus. And make no mistake, the battle for unbelief in who Jesus is and what he has promised to us and what he has promised to do is a battle we fight raging every day, moment by moment, and we must trust in Jesus. Lord, help us. Amen. So here in our text today, we're going to see two postures that we must increasingly live with by faith. If we are to keep from falling away, remember, from being hindered, from being caught off guard, and remain steadfast on mission and witness 
Jesus' glory and power and see his kingdom advanced at all times in all things. Remember, this is not fear time. This is faith time. Amen? Faith in the Son of God. Let's go. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. John chapter 16. We're going to continue on starting at 4b all the way to the end of verse 15. Let's go. The work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare to you. What a passage of scripture. All God's people said, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here is this, to stay faithful on mission, you must be focused on the mission of God. To stay faithful on mission, you must be focused on the mission of God. Our focus on mission impacts our faithfulness on mission. I'll say it again. Our focus on the mission impacts our faithfulness in the mission. Hey, hey, loved one, where's your focus? Where's your focus? Remember I said off the top, it's so easy to be distracted today. Where's your focus? Where is your focus? Let's go back to verse 4 and we'll read to 6. The work of the Holy Spirit. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, Jesus says. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Sobering passage right there. See, Jesus tells the disciples here that he didn't tell them earlier about all the persecution and opposition that would happen to them. Why? Because he was with them. You see that from the text? He was with them. And what does that mean? It means he would protect them. And he would lead them in where they needed to go and in what they needed to do. See, up until this point, the disciples just needed to trust Jesus and just follow him. And they could see him. And so if there was opposition, he would protect them because he knew what was coming. Right? But then in verses 5 to 6, Jesus gives a gentle rebuke to them. He's not being harsh with them. He's giving them a gentle rebuke. And he says this. He goes, I'm about to go to the Father. I'm about to be crucified for the sin of the world and die. Then I'm about to be resurrected. And then, and then a number of days later, I'm going to ascend back up to the Father in heaven. And yet, notice what happened. Notice the shift in the disciples. Instead of showing concern or interest in or having priority for me now, priority for the mission of God, he says, all this sorrow, the word sorrow there in verse 6 means all this grief, 
all this distress has filled and overwhelmed your heart. Here's why. Because you are so consumed about what will happen to you. I'll say that again. Jesus said right here, all of the sorrows filled your heart because you are so consumed about what will happen to you and what you may lose. Your focus has been taken off of me and you have made your primary focus yourself and your well-being in He says, you're not giving my desires, my will, my kingdom, my mission, a second thought. He says, because all that you are focused on right now, all the disciples are focused on right here, is how uncomfortable things will be. All they're focused on is how hard things may get. How much sacrifice will be needed. All they're focused on here is their reputation, their relationships that they may lose because of following Jesus. What they're focused on here is not the mission of God. They're just focused on the cost to themselves and whether they even want to pay it. They're focused on the many ways that they will no longer be able to have it easy and live for themselves and how they will no longer be able to build their own little kingdoms if they want to stay faithful on the mission. Here's the summary, if we could sum up what Jesus says here. Jesus says to them very clearly, it's become all about how it affects you and living on mission for your name instead of how you're called to live on mission for my name. It's become all about you. That's what you're grieved about. Does this... Let's just full stop. That's a sobering word. I want to say this so gently, but does this sound familiar to us? Let's be honest and let's humble ourselves under the word of God and say, yes, Lord. This is where our hearts are at so often when it comes to the mission of God or the mission of self. Now, I want you to notice something here. You may be saying, oh, Jesus, so mean, so harsh. You're not being harsh. As one commentator said, I like how he said this. He said, Jesus is not demeaning concern for the future. I mean, over and over in Scripture, it says it's wise to plan. Right? God himself is a planner. Yet, notice what he's doing. He's not, he's not demeaning the concern for the future. But he's lifting their eyes to look beyond their circumstances to something much greater. He calls his disciples to live for something bigger than themselves. Here in the 
in there in the first century and here again in the 21st century. He calls them to live not for the mission of self, but for the mission of God. Not for your personal glory, but for His glory. No matter the cost, no matter the end, Jesus over all. Amen? Jesus over all. He calls the disciples to this. He calls us to this today. Eyes off self. Eyes onto Him. Focus not on building our kingdoms, but doing whatever it takes in his power to see him build his. Whatever he calls us to, it is, it is, this is just radical. It is completely opposite. And this is why this world will not promote this. What Jesus is calling us to here and calling out in us here. If the world does not promote this. This is completely opposite from what this world says to strive for, isn't it? They say, focus on yourself. Make your life as comfortable and secure and safe and all that stuff as possible. Let people sacrifice for you, not you for others. Make a name for yourself. Put yourself as your greatest priority. Build your own kingdom here. All the success you want, all the ease you want, all the opportunities you want. Just build your own kingdom. Make your greatest interest and priority you. There's the message of this world. Make your greatest focus, your greatest interest, your greatest priority you. Not Jesus. And so let's be honest. Just like the disciples here, how much, how much sorrow do we experience in our lives as the result of us just being so focused on ourselves? Right here, just like the disciples, live in the text. How much of the same sorrow do we experience? Being so focused on ourselves, trying to build our own kingdoms. How much stress, how much fear, how much anxiety, how much worry, how much discouragement do we experience as a result of being so focused on self and trying to build our own kingdoms and pursue our own interests? When God, out of his goodness and his love for us, takes those things away that he knows are becoming idols, that he knows we've put as greater worth, as greater priority than him, and in his love for us, pulls those things out because they can't satisfy. They won't lead you to life. So he pulls those things away. But instead of allowing him to lift our eyes to something much greater and focusing on him and his mission, the purpose for our lives, listen, we allow worldly sorrows in those moments to fill our hearts. Oh, I lost that. Well, it's just going to be too. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't. And here's what happens. We end up falling away from living steadfast on mission. I don't want to count that cost, Jesus. No thanks. I want to stay comfortable. We end up falling away, hindered from living steadfast on mission, and we don't give his kingdom a second thought. That's a sobering word, isn't it? Right here. I was so convicted of that as I was prepping this. You see... <clears throat> 
What we see clearly right here is our focus on mission impacts our faithfulness on mission. Hey, loved one, where's your focus? Where's your focus? The mission of me or the mission of God? The priority of me, the priority of God. The priority of my kingdom, the priority of his kingdom. Where's your focus? Just let's, let's, let's be honest. See, because here's the truth. You'll see it on the screen. We will always be focused on something. It's true. You will always be focused on something. And if it isn't the mission of God, it will be the mission of self. If it isn't the mission of God, it will be the mission of self. And so you say, well, how do I gauge this? Well, here's here's what I found to be a, a good litmus question for us in assessing where we're truly at with this. Think about it. Does more sorrow fill your heart over the loss of your comfort and convenience or over the loss of a soul to hell? There's a good litmus to start with. And let's get low and repent of the greater sorrow we feel when we can't build our own kingdoms. And you may say this, you may hear that, and it's just maybe an aha moment, and I pray it is, as it has been for me. And you may say, well, I want to live with an increasing focus on mission on the mission of God, but how do I do this? I, I, I find it so hard. There's so many distractions and I find I'm paralyzed in fear at the thought of opposition and all of this stuff. Like, how do I grow with a focus on the mission of God? Praise the Lord. He hasn't left us alone. He's given us tools for this. You ready for this? We see five ways outlined all in scripture. Okay, so write these down. Number one, we need to renew our minds. We need to renew our minds. I love how Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world. There it is right there. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, there it is. There's the focus on the mission of God. You may discern the will of God. How do we do that? Renew your mind through his word. Set your mind, Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, on things above. Abide. Does that sound familiar? Abide in him. Moment by moment. This is why Jesus commands us. He goes, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can't stay focused on mission. Apart from me, you can't do this. But in me, renew your mind. Abide in me. And I will help you set your mind on things above, the things that matter most. I will give you a heart for the lost. I will give you a heart for me. I will give you a greater love for God. I will give you a greater faith in God. Set your mind, renew your mind daily, or we will be conformed to this world, right? And so we need to renew our minds daily. So how do we grow in the mission of God? Renew your mind in his word. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't let it have a louder voice in your life than the voice of God through his word. Amen? 
That's the first challenge. If you're not in the word of God every day, pick it up. If you're not abiding moment by moment, then keep it, store it up in your mind. Make it your focus to memorize it and to take time with it and to be quiet with it all throughout the day, not just five minutes in the morning. Abide in him. All right? Renew your mind. And here's the other one. Here's another one. Repent. So as our mind is renewed and the spirit exposes those areas where we are just seeking conformity to the world, what do we do? Repent. I love Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which sings cling so closely. We can't get rid of sin on our own. That's why we needed a Savior. And so we need to repent as the Holy Spirit says, ah, you're trying to conform this way. Bring it up. Oh, here's your focus. This is a greater priority. Repent of it. And then God promises to cleanse us, 1 John 1, 9. And then our minds are renewed. And all that sin that hinders our fellowship with God gets removed. Renew your mind. Repent of sin. Here's the second thing, ready? Right? Or the third thing, sorry. Renew your mind, repent of sin. Here it is, request God's desires. Request, request God's desires. John 15, seven and eight, watch this. Jesus says, if you abide in me, oh, there it is again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Request God's desires. Scripture-fed, spirit-led prayer. Make it your habit to not pray with your Bible closed. All right? Open it. Praying God's word back to him. His will. This is his will. The word of God is the will of God. His purposes for the glory of God. This is what it means, remember, to pray in the name of Jesus. This is what he's talking about here. Request God's desires as you renew your mind and the word is stored up then uh, then god's desires increasingly become your desires ask him to help you honor what he honors to love what he loves and above all to love him as greatest treasure amen renew your mind repent of sin request god's desires and how do we grow in focusing on a mission of god here it is four re-engage the mission Re-engage the mission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. What's the mission? Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Praise the Lord. I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the mission of this church. That is the mission of us individual as Christians. Being a disciple means making a disciple. So don't sit around and be like, man, I blew it again. Re-engage the mission. Renew your mind. Repent of sin. Request God's desires. Re-engage the mission. All right? This is how we grow and focus. And finally, here it is, the fifth one. Repeat. Repeat. This is not a flash in the pen, one-time thing. Repeat this daily, over and over and over. Renew your mind. Repent of sin. Request God's desires. Re-engage the mission. Repeat. Praise the Lord. See, faithfulness in mission flows from focus on mission. Where's your focus? Just think of those five things we just looked at right now. Is, is that what you're focused on? Where is your focus? Are you growing in focus on the things Jesus focused on? The things that matter most as greatest priority. Are Christ's priorities your own? Just be honest. What is your next step?
What's your next step? Just look at those five things. What's your next step? Maybe some of you need to re-engage the mission. Maybe some of you need to get in front of God's word and start renewing your mind, abiding with him moment by moment in the day. Maybe some of you need to spend time in repentance this afternoon, right now, and saying, Lord, I'm focused on my own kingdom. Maybe some of you need to take God's word and spend time in prayer, saying, yet not my will, but yours be done, Lord. What's your next step? Do it. There's life waiting. There's hope. There's strength. There's faith. Come. Come to him, loved one. See, to stay faithful and living on mission, you must be focused on the mission of God. But as we've seen, we can't do this on our own, can we? But here's the good news. We're not alone. And so if we are to stay focused on the mission of God with this, we must be dependent on the Spirit of God. We must be dependent on the Spirit of God. See, the Spirit of God empowers the mission of God. That's good news. The Spirit of God empowers the mission of God. Question, are you depending on Him? Are you depending on Him? Look at verse 7. Go back to the text. Right here it says, Nevertheless, okay, all this is going on. You're focused on yourself right now, and now look what Jesus says. Nevertheless, even in spite of this, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. What a statement there. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus goes on to say that even though the disciples are overwhelmed by him leaving and what that means for them, he comforts them here by saying that it is to their advantage the word advantage there means it's to their profit. It's actually to their gain that Jesus leaves them, that he goes back to heaven. Why? Because it's only by him leaving that he will send the Holy Spirit, the helper, to dwell in them and empower them to live on mission faithfully as his witnesses. Now circle the word helper there. That is a loaded name. And so let's get some clarity on what that is. Pastor Eric, a few weeks ago, he unpacked this. Let's go a little bit further with it. It means parakletos. It means called to one's aid. The advocate, the counselor, the consoler, the intercessor, the comforter. And right here in John 16, this is such a key passage of scripture because this is one of the clearest and most extensive teachings of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. All right, so let's tune in to this, about his person and about his work. Now, first thing I want us to notice here is this. In describing the Holy Spirit, okay, Jesus uses the term he or his 11 times in this text. You can go ahead and count them up if you want, but 11 times. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person. In fact, he's the third person of the Trinity. One God, three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. He is a person. And so Jesus says, and this is amazing, Jesus says his physical presence with them will be replaced by the Holy Spirit's presence in them. Isn't that amazing? Here, here is God dwelling beside them in, in the physical presence, and now it's God dwelling within them. Awesome. Awesome. And to all of those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And, and so why is he giving them the Spirit? Well, 
He makes it clear right here. Again, read it in context. The context is how to stay faithful in the face of persecution. He's giving them the spirit, not just so they can live some comfy, easy, cozy life. Yeah, just, you know, I got my get out of hell free card and I'll just kind of kick back to eternity with Jesus. That's not why he's giving the Holy Spirit. He's giving the Holy Spirit so that his mission could be accomplished in them and through them by making them, I love this, I love this, here's great hope for us today, by making them spiritually fruitful and effective as they, as we today, as his followers, faithfully bear witness about Jesus by proclaiming the gospel through his power. Awesome. There's the reinforcement that Jesus sends from heaven. His name is the Holy Spirit, the Helper. And we see two ways he does that. So what? how does the Holy Spirit, what's his mission? What was he sent to do? Well, we see two things Jesus clearly describes here. Two ways the Holy Spirit helps us. Number one, here's the mission, ready? The Holy Spirit convicts. Okay, the Holy Spirit is his mission to convict. Look at verses 8 to 11. Go back to the text. And when he comes, that is the Holy Spirit, the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. See, the word convict there in verse 8, circle it. Here's what it means. Conviction does not mean condemnation. Okay? That's the first thing we need to understand. Conviction means to expose, to shine a light on, or to convince one to turn from something. That's what conviction is. Okay? And so we see three things the Holy Spirit's mission is to convict of. The first one is sin. All right? The word sin there means uh, to miss God's mark of obedience and truth. Anything done against the word of God. Now, remember our context in verse 9, okay? The context, Jesus speaking of a specific sin here. And what is that specific sin? It's the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Son of God. You can see that clear as day in verse 9. And why is he saying this specifically? Because it is this sin of unbelief, the refusal to come to Jesus Christ, the refusal to repent of sin and confess him as Lord and Savior, it is this sin that if not repented of, will ultimately lead that person to hell. It was in the, in the first century here with the Jews. It is in the 21st century, and it always will be. The sin of unbelief that will lead people to hell. And the Spirit brings conviction out of love and grace. It's God's grace. Conviction is God's grace. If you're here and you're feeling conviction, that is God's grace towards you. It's not His condemnation of you. It is His grace as the Spirit brings this conviction. Why? To show a person their need for a Savior. He's giving them a chance. And so here it is. He's convicting of the sin of unbelief, but also convicting of righteousness. You see, go back to the text. Verse 8, he convicts of righteousness. What is righteousness? Here's what it means. Doing right in God's eyes. 
doing right in God's eyes. Now recall, right, let's get our context again. The Jews, the Jewish leaders, remember the Pharisees, the ones who wrote to kill Jesus all throughout the Gospel of John, they had false standards of righteousness, just like we do today. Only the Jews we see in the context had false standards of righteousness. It was legalism and they made all these rules about following God and you had to, you know, pray always certain times of day, wear certain clothes, don't eat certain things. And oh yeah, we're going to add a whole bunch more onto this. And, and so they had made up all these rules because they thought their effort is what made them righteous before God. But the truth was they could do nothing. All those righteous works, all those things that they thought and that you and I think today say, well, this will get me in good standing with God. Well, this will give me greater favor with God. Listen, they could do nothing to make them right with God. Jesus came to expose the powerless self-righteousness of the world. Praise the Lord. He came to expose the powerless self-righteousness of the world to show them, to show us today what true righteousness was in God's eyes. It is not your effort or mine. And he came to show the truth that human beings, and, and here's a shot to our egos, but that includes you and me, human beings are absolutely powerless to come to God based on any good work they think they could ever do. Just look at Isaiah 64 verse 6 and you'll see what all our good works of God calls them filthy rags. All our righteous works are like filthy rags and that we could only be made right with God and live a righteous life. How? Through salvation in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself living inside of us. What did Jesus come to expose? The righteous, the self-righteousness of the world and to show that it is only by God's grace alone, God giving us what we don't deserve and only through faith in Jesus Christ alone could we come to him. Could we have eternal life and could we live a righteous life? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him. All our righteous works like filthy rags. Wow, how much does that fly in the face of the first century world and the 21st century world today, right? This world says you can. You can get to God. Just be better than the next guy. Well, if, you, if you're kind enough and if you do this and if you're good at ways you're bad, then you, know, you can do that. So that's the world's opinion. It won't work. Jesus came to expose the self-righteousness. No, we're all good people. We can all do that. Jesus came to expose that. That self-righteousness, righteousness found through him alone in repentance and faith. But also with every other religion. Look at all these other religions around the world. Is it we see this right here? Do, 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 do. Earn, 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 earn. If you're good enough, then you'll have greater favor. If you're good enough, then you may get to this eternal paradise, if you're good enough, you know what Jesus says? It's not do, 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 but because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, on your behalf and mine, Jesus says, done. Done. I came to expose the self-righteousness of the world. I paid the penalty for your sin that no matter amount of your good works ever could, but will you come to me? Will you confess me as your Lord and Savior?
And you see in verse 10 that Jesus came for that, but the Holy Spirit would now take over this illuminating work that Jesus started. Why? Because he was shortly going back to the Father through his death and resurrection and ascension. So he came to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, their self-righteousness, and now of judgment. The word judgment there means to declare what is right and wrong. See, Jesus says here that he came to show the world that the world's judgment of things is wrong. What he means is this. Talk about a shot to the pride of the world. He says, you are incapable of making righteous, God-honoring judgments. You are incapable of that. And look around today. Has anything changed? Talk about being incapable of making righteous judgments apart from the work of the Lord in someone's life. I mean, you look at the amount of racism that's going on. You look at the amount of laws that are being passed that are completely against the word of God and not what God judges to be right and just and filled with equality and love and well-being for all. Just look at their judgments on truth. Truth can be whatever you make it now. Really? Really, you're incapable of making righteous judgments. Why? Because the world has been twisted and deceived by, go back to the text, the ruler of this world. Who is that? Verse 11, he's talking about Satan. Satan has turned people from believing in Jesus as the Messiah as the son of God. And because he's the ruler of this world for a time, under the authority of God, he's deceiving and distorting the truth of God in all spheres that he can. Even right here as we see now, and even today, the judgment of who Jesus truly is. It's one of the most distorted truths in all of our world. Why? Because the world's incapable of making a righteous judgment, a clear judgment, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, to see the truth. And so as such, you notice verse 11, the Holy Spirit would now lead sinners into a right judgment of who Jesus is to, and to putting their faith in him as they hear the word of God proclaimed by Christ's followers. Loved ones, this is why you can't put your hope in man. You cannot put your ultimate hope in man. In, this world is incapable of making righteous judgments. This is under the influence of the prince of the power of this world, Satan. But Satan has been judged. Satan has been defeated, as Jesus says here in verse 11. Satan thought that Jesus was taken out on the cross, yet it was the decisive blow against Satan to defeat him for all time. Praise the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of sin and their self-righteousness and judgments of who Jesus is and God's truth. That's not all he does. The Holy Spirit convicts. I love this. The Holy Spirit guides. Ready? Last section, verses 12 to 15. The Holy Spirit guides. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear to hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will, with his promise, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, the word guides there in verse 13, circle it. It means to uh, 
teach or instruct. All right. See, in addition to his role of conviction, Jesus says the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, that is the spirit of God's divine truth. He will guide the disciples into greater clarity and understanding and application of God's truth. And he would declare, the word declare means disclose, reveal it. He would reveal to them the things that are to come. Now, what's he talking about there, the things that are to come? Well, let's get some clarity. He's talking about, in the context here with the disciples, the Holy Spirit would be leading them in writing or watching over the writing of the books of the New Testament through divine inspiration. That's why 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, you'll see it on the screen, says it like this, so beautiful. It says, knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture, that means no passage of scripture, comes from someone's own interpretation. This is the authority of God. This is the inerrancy of God. This is not the authority of man and what he felt like writing. Let the truth of the authority of scripture wash over you right now. That this is not just some man-made book. This is God's book. This is what he wrote. It didn't come from man's own interpretation. Go back to 2 Peter. It says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. See that? Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Every jot, every tittle, and though every else in heaven and earth will pass away God's word will remain amen it is the authority of God the divine author himself using the disciples in the writing of God's word praise the Lord now today the canon is closed God has revealed all that he wants to reveal to us through his word. This is why Hebrews 1 says, in the last days he's spoken to us by his son. Who's the son? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. John 1, the word of God. He's the canon is closed. There's no new revelation coming, being added to God's word. God has revealed all that he wanted to reveal to us. But the Holy Spirit is still at work illuminating scripture, giving clarity and understanding and power to us to apply it in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit that is responsible for us being able to understand Scripture. Man, we better be calling out to Him every time we open the book. Amen? And then as verses 14 and 15 say, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God. Now when He says, um, all that the Father has is mine, He's talking about all Old Testament, all New Testament Scripture, right? He says, He says, all of it, through the Holy Spirit illuminating it, will glorify Jesus Christ. There's the mission of the Holy Spirit. There's his greatest longing right there, to glorify Jesus Christ. The word glorify there in verse 14 means to exalt, to esteem, to honor. You will glorify Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to notice something here. The exalting and glorifying of Jesus Christ has always been and will always be the mission of the Holy Spirit. It's his greatest desire, and we need to be rock solid clear on this. The Holy Spirit will not do anything to distract from this, whether in corporate worship settings or in our personal worship with the Lord. It is his mission to see the name of Jesus exalted, 
not his own, not the gifts of the Spirit, not anything else. It's his mission to make sure all eyes are seeing the exaltation and all hearts are responding to the exaltation of Jesus Christ and to not distract from it. See, glorifying Christ is why the Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Why? For salvation in Christ. We can't have salvation without the Spirit. Jesus is exalted when we confess Him as Lord. That's the work of the Spirit's conviction. The Holy Spirit glorifying Christ is why He guides us into all truth and illuminates the Word of God as we humble ourselves under it daily, abiding He shows us the centrality of Christ. Just as as Jesus said in Luke 24, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted all the Old Testament, pointing to himself. All of Scripture points to Jesus. Right? And so he illuminates that to us. And, oh, there's the gospel. There's Jesus Christ. There's hope. We can't see that without the work of the Spirit. And even in our counseling in this church, I love the biblical counseling in this church where it's it's not like, here's a verse, slap it on, way you go. No, 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 no. It's like, let's walk through Scripture. There's the gospel. There's the hope. There's who you are in Christ. There's the power of Christ. There's his love for you. And constantly seeing those roots of sin uprooted and gospel roots taking root and bearing gospel fruits. It's been amazing to see that over this last year, even in this pandemic, just the gospel going to work as the centrality of Christ is lifted up. Praise the Lord. Glorifying Christ is why he convicts of sin, guides us into all truth, but also glorifying Jesus Christ is why the Holy Spirit empowers gospel preaching. Preaching Jesus Christ. Right? And that's why 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. May that always be the testament of Hope Bible Church Ottawa, long after I'm gone, is that we preach Christ crucified. And I want to encourage us in this because there's so many voices out there today that you can tune into. Listen, loved one, I, it doesn't matter how motivational it sounds. The question is, is it exalting Jesus? Beginning, middle, and end. Is Christ the focus? Or are you the center? Or someone? Or something else? Spirit-empowered preaching always has Christ at the center. Spirit-empowered preaching is not about how awesome you are. It will never take you there. God's Word is not designed to take you there. Spirit-empowered preaching will not tell you how awesome you are. It will tell you how awesome Christ is. Amen? It will tell you how awesome Jesus is and how great was his work on the cross to atone for your sin. And it will tell you your desperate need for him moment by moment. That is spirit-empowered preaching. The proclamation of Jesus Christ, not the proclamation of self. No matter how much itching ears want to hear, feel good, I'm the greatest, you can do it, go slay your giant messages. There's only one who slayed the giant. Amen? And this is why Charles Spurgeon, he said this, no Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again. Go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Until Christ is the center and being exalted where he needs to be. That is the preaching 
that the Holy Spirit empowers because his mission is to glorify Christ, not you or anyone else. Also, lastly, the Holy Spirit glorifying Jesus. This is why he empowers us not only to hear the word of God, but then to obey God and bear fruit. He transforms us increasingly into the image of Christ. See the Holy Spirit's work in sanctification, making us more like Jesus, transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. And so there's initial conviction for unbelief and confessing Christ as Savior, but then there's an ongoing conviction that the Spirit brings of the sin that we need to have cleansed. And as he does, don't reject it. As 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. We won't grow without the Spirit. And if you're looking for a great resource to unpack more of what we have just unpacked, you know, I recommend back of the ESV study Bible, there's a whole Bible doctrine section. All right, our leadership team has been so blessed by it as we've gone through it. I encourage you with that. You will see these four areas about the Holy Spirit unpacked in much more detail than we can here in one sermon. I highly recommend you pick that up. See, the Holy Spirit empowers us on mission for God. But will you depend on him? You've seen it. We're dependent on him for everything. Will you depend on him? Will I depend on him? And if you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your personal Savior, your first step, what a gift that the Lord has brought you here to hear this because the first step of dependence is to realize and to confess that you cannot get to God on your own. You cannot have eternal life. You cannot live a righteous life apart from his work in you. This world, I don't care what else it tells you, this world has it wrong. Its judgment of who Jesus is is distorted. It is deceived. Jesus is the truth of God. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and his call for you today is to repent, to repent of your sin of unbelief and to confess him as Lord and Savior, believing that he came to earth as fully God and fully man and lived the perfect life because you never could, I never could, and he went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and had the whole wrath of God, God's hatred against sin, poured out on him, and he died and was buried and rose again three days later and ascended back to the Father, and now he's ready to offer you forgiveness and eternal life but will you turn to him that you may become the righteousness of God? He became sin who knew no sin, that in him you might become the righteousness of God and be reconciled to God for all eternity. What are you waiting for? Don't wait. There's the truth of God right there. Come to him, loved one. And believers, let me ask you a question. Will you depend on the Holy Spirit? Brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who've made that decision, Will you depend on him for your witness? You know, when you feel scared, when you feel fearful, you see the opposition coming. Will you depend on him? You know, and you say, well, I don't know what to say. and It's up to me to convince them. And I feel like I have to have the right words all the time. Hey, can, can I just encourage you? Just live in the truth of God. Conviction is not your job. Conviction is not my job today. It's not my responsibility. I can't convict someone of this truth. I can't change someone. Neither can you. It's his job. It's his mission. Be comforted in that. Your mission, my mission, is to be faithful with the gospel in the opportunities he gives us. Will 
You depend on the Spirit that he will be with you and will give you all that you need to stand firm and steadfast and not fall away in your witness. But also, how about this? In your worship. Will you depend on him when you abide in the word just to take a few moments before you open God's word and say, Holy Spirit, will you please come and open my eyes to see the truth, illuminate God's word, exalt Jesus Christ, empower me to stay faithful, lead me in repentance and conviction of sin, Give me clarity. How about, how about in prayer? Ask for his leading in prayer, for his guidance. Say, Holy Spirit, guide me. You are intercessing, interceding for me right now. Guide me through the truth of God. Right? And in obedience even. Holy Spirit, will you give me power to follow Jesus and bear abiding fruit for eternity because I can't on my own. All my works are like filthy rags. So you could sum it up, brothers and sisters, with a well-known phrase that says this, you have all of the Holy Spirit. If you are truly saved in Jesus Christ, you have all of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He's your guarantee of salvation. He's your seal. But does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Where do you need to repent of your dependency on self? in your witness or your dependency on self of trying to glorify Jesus on your own strength to live righteously and to bear fruit apart from him where do you need to repent of if it's the mission, spirit's mission to glorify Christ where do you need to repent of trying to seek your own glory over Christ and where do you need to humble yourself in asking for a greater dependency on him. There's life, there's joy, there's hope, there's peace, there's strength, there's faith. Don't wait. Don't wait, loved one. You see, to stay faithful in living on mission, back to our initial question, how do you stay faithful? Right here. To stay faithful in living on mission, you must trust in Jesus. Focused on the mission of God, dependent on the spirit of God. And I want to encourage you, loved one, the opposition may be great, but our God is greater. Amen? And as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, he who called you is faithful, and he will do it. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, empower us to respond faithfully. I pray today would have been so helpful, so clarifying, so encouraging, and yet, humbling. Lord, Holy Spirit, do your work. Refine us, transform us, convict us, break us, strengthen us, refresh us, all for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond and worship with us today?